we're starting a brand new series entitled Hope in the Darkness. Now, it is inspired by a book by Pastor Craig Rochelle. He wrote a book called Hope in the Dark. Uh, if you haven't read the book, that's where I got the inspiration for this series. I really felt the pain of people walking through tough situations but not knowing what to do. Uh, it, it, you know, I've never really taught a message like this, but I just sense that in the church, we really have to address that life happens, and when life happens, bad things can happen in life. I want you to know bad things happen to good people, and evil people prosper. I know I ain't going to get a whole lot of amens on that, but it's the truth. They may not prosper for long, but how many know you can look at some people, you're like, you, you live like the devil, and you're doing much better than me. And uh, you can feel like, God, I'm living for you. I'm doing all the right things. But why is someone dealing with sickness in my family? Why am I struggling through the challenges of life? And, and life can be so tough that it causes us to have questions. Questions that we never had before. And if we don't address that in the church, where as Christians can we address this? Like, I know that God is good. And I know that, that as Christians we should expect eternity in our eyes. We should have one, one eye in eternity and one eye here on this earth. But how many know sometimes it's just hard? Uh, I'll tell you as a pastor, there's times where it's just hard. And so how do we go through life like that? Is there hope? What do we do? Is there, is there a place to turn? And I want you to know that there is hope in the darkness. And this morning I'm going to talk specifically about wrestling in the valley wrestling in the valley. And we're going to study over the next couple of weeks the book of Habakkuk. I'm sure every one of you are extremely familiar with all three chapters of Habakkuk and have studied it extensively. I'm sure of it. Uh, in this series, we're going to do that. We're going to study it because I really feel like Habakkuk is a great example for us, a man that we can really relate to and say, man, he, he, he learned some things, he walked out some things that if I will learn and walk out in my life, my life will be better. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet in the Old Testament. There were 18 prophets that have written books in the Bible, and uh, there were five major prophets and there's 12 minor prophets. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets, and what they mean by that is just not a lot written by them, but they were men used by God in a powerful way. Now, he lived 600 years before Christ, and Habakkuk was a different type of prophet. Most prophets heard from God and then spoke to the people. So God speaks to the prophet, and then he begins to tell the people, thus saith the Lord, this is what God says. But Habakkuk is a little different in that he feels the pain of the people and begins to speak to God on behalf of the people. And so it's a little bit of an interesting twist. And what we see in Habakkuk, which I want to encourage you over the next three weeks, go just read all three chapters once a week and just let it just digest it and what it's saying. But he's mad at God. He's frustrated at God. Uh, he's a little bit upset that, that God is not doing what God should be doing in his perspective that bad things are happening, and God, where are you? The, 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 the nation of Judah was in decline. Uh, and they were at prospering at one time. They're no longer prospering. There's violence. There is injustice. There is corruption. And uh, you have this prophet that is very frustrated with God. And I, I don't know about you. Has anybody ever been frustrated with God? Amen. How many are brave enough to admit it? Lightning won't strike you, I promise. Thus saith your pastor. I mean, but sometimes Christianity, we're taught, look, don't be frustrated with God. Just keep your smile on and just keep going. And 
I mean, but life is frustrating, right? I mean, have you ever had a moment? Like for, for me, it's like, God, why does my wife have diabetes since she's 22? I mean, I mean, no, that's a little frustrating. I live for you. We live for you. We pastor a church. I mean, somebody might be saying, look, God, why did I lose my job? Like, I'm a Christian. I thought, you, I thought you gave me this job. And look, God, I do all the right things. And the people that cheat the system, that don't do what's right, I got fired and they still got a job. Why, God? Why? Anybody ever had a friend die in a car wreck? So I've had several friends die, and you're like, God, why, why did they die? Like, like, I got friends that drink and drive that have never been in a wreck, and they don't care. They're reckless, and I got a friend that wasn't drinking and driving, and they died in a wreck, and it doesn't make sense. It was an accident. It wasn't even their fault. God, why do injustice? Does injustice happen? Why do bad things happen? It doesn't make sense to me, and we've got to know that it's okay to wrestle. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be angry or baffled or disappointed. It's okay to question God. God, why are you allowing this to happen? And what we see many times is Habakkuk is asking God, why doesn't life seem fair? Why are you not fair, God? I, I, you know, I, I just, it doesn't look fair, it doesn't feel fair, it doesn't seem fair. And that's the question he asked 2,600 years ago. And the question we're asking today is, God, why don't you seem fair? Why don't you seem fair? See, I, I know bad things happen, but here's my beef with God. You could do something about it. Like if you really are God, I mean, haven't you heard people saying, Christian, well, if God was really God, how can we see genocide? How can we see hunger and world uh, falling apart? Well, and, and so these are the questions that we're asking. It's the same questions about the guy. Let's look in uh, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen Anybody ever felt like that? God, help me, help me, help me. And it's like, what, where is God? He said, look, God, I've been, I've been asking you. He said, or cry out to you, violence. So in other words, look, it's not fair. Look, there's, there's genocide happening. There's murder happening. He said, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Look, why, God, why? And that's what I love about Habakkuk. You know, sometimes people say when I communicate a little bit raw and real. So what I love about Habakkuk, he's just raw. He's just, he just a little gritty, kind of like us, just a little grit. Just, just I'm going to get up in it and just say, God, let's just ask the questions that everybody's thinking, but ain't nobody else asking. And so we see it in life that it doesn't always go according to plan. And, and what I tell my kids and, and even those that I mentor is, look, life is not a fairy tale. Life's not a movie. It's not a television show. And how many know we love fairy tales? Who's going to watch a movie that ends bad? They don't do good. Have you ever seen one? There's not very many. I actually Googled movies that have terrible ending, and there's like 12. And you've never heard of them. And there's a reason why. Because we don't want reality. We want something that's not real. We want the fairy tale. We want the rags to riches. We want the underdog. I mean, come on, somebody. Even at the Super Bowl, you know you were rooting for the Rams, not because you like the Rams. You're just tired of the Patriots winning. Right? I mean, I know. Why? It's because, it's because we want the underdog to win. You, you never even liked the Rams up until the Super Bowl. Right? 
And, and so why? It's because it's the underdog. It's the person. It's, it's, it's why we love things like America's Got Talent. Anybody like that show? We, we love it at my house. You've got to grab a box of tissue, and you just, as a man, you just got to embrace. I'm probably going to shed a tear or two when I'm watching America's Got Talent. I just gave up. My kids are like, what you doing? Dad, I'm crying, baby. I'm crying. I'm just letting it all out. Just letting it out. you got these average, ordinary people that all of a sudden, just one in a million get up on the stage and they were a plumber and now they sing and now they're instantly elevated into stardom. You know, it's amazing. We were watching a couple of seasons back. There's this woman who was a singer and she had some rare disease where she lost her hearing. But before she lost the hearing, she was an amazing singer. She loses her hearing. She goes into depression and then realizes, I'm going to try to, to sing anyway. And she began to learn how to sing based on the vibration of what she felt on the floor with her feet and killed it. She got up and blew everybody away but can't hear a thing. Why, wow, we love those stories. I was watching one the other day where the guy has cerebral palsy and uh, it's gotten so bad he can't speak. But now he's got his computer that he speaks for him as his voice. And he is a comedian with cere cere cerebral palsy. And the computer tells the jokes and he's up there just standing there. And we love that because the underdog now has a voice. Someone that couldn't do the impossible is now doing the impossible. It, it's, it's not reality. We don't want reality because reality stinks. And sometimes as a Christian, we can say, I, I'm just not going to acknowledge the harshness of reality. Now, I'm not telling you every second of your life is like that. But let me tell you, you're going to walk through some valleys. You're going to walk through some times where, where it's tough, where, where you, you, you got your job situation happening and you lose it. And the fairy tale ending would say, well, you get a better job with a better boss and raise and, and you're successful. But then you walk it out and you don't get a job. You go through bankruptcy. The debt collector takes your house and takes your car and you're still a Christian. What do you do with that? Right, I mean, that, that's the, and it's like, well, I know, brother, I'm just going to pray for you. I, you must not be tired. And you're like, I've been tired. I've been, whatever, whatever it is, but it's life because sometimes bad things happen to good people. Maybe it's your spouse. You, you married this person that's the love of your life, and, and you thought everything would be great. You started having problems. They cheated on you, and they didn't come back, and it wasn't restored. You've been praying for it, but now they blame you, and they actually leave, and you get a divorce, and you were praying for restoration. Oh, does that happen, Pastor? It does happen. Why? Because we live in a fallen world with sinful people. Maybe it's just life. Maybe you've been faithful. You've been doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. and You get up, you do your worship and your devotions, and, and then you just got diagnosed with cancer. God, I don't understand. Like, a, like I'm on fire for you. I, I don't understand. Why would I now have a sickness? I've never struggled with anything. I've been healthy until now. It's just life happens, and we don't, we don't always embrace it. Sometimes we'll, we, we try to run from it. We, be, we want it to be a fairy tale, but life is tough at times, and that's okay. And the challenge is if we don't have a safe place to come and to wrestle with our faith, we will never deal with the tough situations in our life. you got to have a place where you can come in and say, you know what, God, you don't feel safe. Isn't that a challenge? I heard something the other day. It, it just cracks me up. The safest place to be 
is in the will of God. And I know, listen, you may have said it, and I'm not trying to clown on you, but the safest place to be is not in the will of God. What I mean by that is, just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean you're not going to face struggles. And tr- Look, tell someone that just gave their life overseas as a martyr that the safest place to be is in the will of God. They gave the ultimate price. They gave everything. So it depends on what you call safety. If we're calling safety eternity, then the answer is yes. But we don't usually equate it like that. You know how we do it? It's like, well, God, I want blessings and hope and joy because the safest place to be is right in the will of God. No, no. Do do you know that's when persecution comes? That's when the devil comes, trials come, temptations come. Why? Because now you're a threat to the enemy. So we got to shed off this mentality that says, oh, it's the safest place to be. No, no, no. It's tough to be in the will of God. It's a challenge. That's why God said we're not a social club. We're an army. See, if you join Christianity to be a part of a social club, you'll leave because you joined for the wrong reasons. You came because you thought the safest place to be is in the will of God. But when you recognize I'm in an army, my mentality changes. I have a wartime mentality. Do you know that soldiers, they go through hunger, they go through pain, they go through fatigue. Why? Because they're in a battle. Listen, there will be moments where you're, you feel I'm hungry and I'm, I'm fatigued and it's tough. Why? Because in this earth, we are fighting the good fight of faith. It's a battle. It's a battle. Look at what Habakkuk, he feels this way. God, where are you? He says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you make me tolerate or why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. They abound. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. Basically, God, you don't seem to care. You're not doing anything when you could do something to help. It's just not fair. And and you you sense him saying something like, God, if I were you, I'd probably do it just a little bit different. If I, well, first off, thank God you're not God. I'm just saying, that's just a side note. Probably shouldn't have said it, but I did. God, if, if, if I was you, I'd do it a little bit different. I mean, Phyllis and I had a funny conversation with our kids just a couple of weeks ago. Something a little bit different, but as a parent, my kids, one, one of them specifically said, if I was a mommy, I'd do it totally different. And so we were sitting around the dinner table, and Phyllis, as she normally does, makes an amazing dinner. And with all dinners, they're all balanced. We put, you know, some meats and then vegetables, and she's delivering it to all the kids, and we're all sitting there. And she says, now listen, if you eat all your vegetables, we'll get some dessert. We typically try to get some kind of dessert. You know, we like to, we like to live fluffy around here. <laughs> it's kind of a, a bribe, you know, eat your vegetables, and uh, we'll let you have some dessert. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And uh, one of my kids, Raylan, my littlest daughter, my little six-year-old, she says, I hate vegetables. And uh, Mama said, well, I understand. She said, you know, but, but the reality is, uh, if you eat it, you'll get a dessert. She said, I don't care. I just hate them. And uh, Phyllis said, well, you know, vegetables are good for you. They'll give you strong, you know, make you strong. They give you the nutrients of your body. She said, I just, if I'm a mommy, when I'm a mommy, I said, uh-huh, tell us, tell us a little six-year-old thing. Tell us when you are a mommy. She said, well, I'm not going to make my kids have vegetables. And I said, oh, really? I said, but Raylan, you know, this really makes you strong. And I, I don't care. Okay, little Miss Hot Stuff, what would you feed your kids as a mommy? And she said, oh, I got it all figured out. They just eat candy all day long. 
breakfast, lunch, and dinner. All day. All day, Raylan? All day. Why? Because you're, you're a mommy. See, Raylan would do it differently. I think for God, we would do it differently. We want candy, and God's like, no, 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 I got to get you through some stuff. Come on, somebody. And so that's the perspective of a dad. And so, but I, I do want you to know this. It's okay to question God. And, and I need you to hear this. Look, God's not afraid of your tough questions. Never has been, never will be. I think people are afraid of your questions. I'm not afraid of your questions because if I can't answer it, I don't have to answer it. That's between you and God. I'm going to do my best and then I'm going to get out of the way. I don't feel the ownership that i got to solve your problems. My job is to lead you to God. His job is to take care of you. You know, and so for me, we, if, we, if we have the permission to ask tough questions, then maybe we can start a real authentic relationship. I mean, when you look at a third of the Psalms, it, it, the prayer of the Psalms are really people that are hurting and in pain. When you look at the authors of Job and Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Jeremiah, they're expressing confusion and pain, frustration. When you look at Jesus, Jesus asked God, Why? I mean, are you sure, like, this is the way, are you, this is the only way? Like, Jesus asked God, look, I don't know if I want to go through all of this. And then when God answered, which I will tell you this, God's going to answer you. That's where you just say, okay, God, I trust you. I just, I'm going to submit. Look, I want to show you a graph of a, what, a, what, what our spiritual journey typically looks like. They're going to put it back on the screen. So when you look at our spiritual journey, this is what our journey typically looks like. Down here at the bottom... This is where our spiritual journey would begin. This is the conversion moment. Many of you, we've had over 2,000 people locally give their life to Jesus Christ in the last six years. Yeah. So you started right here. You came in as a skeptic, an unbeliever, didn't, didn't know if this Christian thing was real. God touched you, and we, we, we saw you have a conversion experience. Well, then that takes you up to this mountaintop experience. So it's amazing. When you first get saved, how many know God is near? You feel him? Like you just wake up in the presence of God. You're like, ta-da, there must be angels in my room. It's amazing. And, and you pray, and God speaks, and you ask. You don't even ask. You think, and the answer is right there. Anybody, you're just like, oh, God, is, it's awesome. You pray for the parking space. Psalms 512 says, I shall be surrounded with favor as a shield in Jesus' name. And the first parking space at the very front opens up. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. Amazing. That's my God. So big. So big. Well, that's cool. It's awesome. God does that intentionally because he loves you. He loves me. But then this is the challenge, and, and this is where your faith begins. There is always a dip, and we call this a crisis of belief. And so there's a dip in our life because, look, if, if, if you were just basing your relationship on this euphoria of God feeling so close and amazing, that's not really a relationship. But you will go through a testing, a trial, something happens, you get sick, you lose a loved one, maybe you're getting persecuted, you lost your job, maybe now God doesn't seem close and you could hear him and now he's nowhere to be found or so you think. And so there's this crisis of belief that happens where it's like, I don't know if God is real. And that happens to every one of us. But my challenge, and this is my concern, is as a church, if we don't address this, we lose people in this dip. Because you were taught that it's all about the mountaintop experience. 
And so now here's the challenge in this crisis of belief. There's typically been two options in the church. And if you have a crisis of belief, you deny, you can deny what you're going through. And you can say, well, it's okay. I'm just going to ignore it. It's like God is so good. Oh, he's so good. And you just kind of ignore what you're walking through. And you put on your little fake mask and your pseudo-Christianity and you fake it. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to really deal with this. And so you go your whole life not dealing with the struggle that you've been trapped in. Some people. The other one is people will go back to here to where they lose their faith. Now, and, and some of that is like, did they really lose their faith or did they not really have faith at all? And I'm not going to get into that theological discussion because I have an idea or perspective. But they go over here and now they turn away from God. They backslide. They leave. They're like, God, you must not, it must not have been real. And so they'll go back into what they used to be in before. That's the two options. But I propose there's a third option, and this is the greater option. And that's where our faith grows strongest. And so that's this whole wrestling while embracing. And that's what we see in Habakkuk. What Habakkuk does is he embraces God while he's wrestling with tough questions. You don't have to be exclusively one or the other. It's actually both. And look at what James says. It's not whether or not you're going to face trials. You're going to face trials. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you can see that scale up at the top. It's like, listen, and, and you can hear James. Look, I want you to know. You're going to face trials. And he says of many kinds. Not like, hey, maybe once or twice and maybe occasionally you'll, you'll find a trial that happens. No, no. I just need you to know you're going to face a lot of trials in your life. And there's going to be lots of moments where you have this mountaintop and then you go to a crisis of belief. But the question is, will you let that knock you off your faith? And someone said, Pastor, you're not being positive. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm positive you're going to face a lot of trials in your life. So I just got, you have to know that's coming your way. And, and if I could tell you anything, I want to leave this. This was something I was just, I was pondering. I mean, this, this message has been in my heart for some time. And I thought this phrase just keeps coming back to me over and over. It's okay to not be okay. I get so frustrated with people trying to fix us. Like, look, I'm walking through a struggle. I'm not going to commit suicide. I'm not going to backslide. But I'm not okay, and I'm okay with not being okay. So don't try to fix me. Like, let me work this faith out with God. Let me try to get these questions answered with God. Because sometimes if we're not careful, you'll try to fix people, and God's working on people. He's like, I ain't ready because we got to go a little bit deeper. And so we were never called to fix people. We were called to live life with people and be there for whatever they need us to be there for. I think for too long we've worn masks to church. And I think that's the thing that I love about this place. God told me when we launched this church, and I've never heard him audibly, so don't get that. But in my heart, he said, if you'll be you, your people can be them when they walk through your doors. And so we don't wear masks around here. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not going to ask you to walk in and, and wear this mask. Like, let's just do life together. That's what I love about our small groups. We have over 80 different small groups all throughout the entire city. 
And what's the point of a small group? Not to give you something else to do. It's to find a tribe of people, community of believers that you can live life with that they say, look, you don't have to be perfect. You're going through stuff. I'm going through stuff. I don't know if I'm going to be able to fix you or help you, but we're all chasing the God who can. And that's what small groups do. They build this affinity and this connection and this relationship with people intentionally. Look, nothing in life that's worth having ever happens by accident. So you got to be intentional. That means, you know, at the end of the service, you got to go to the website. If you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you to get in a small group. Over 600 of you are already, but that means there's still a whole lot of you that are not. Look at what this verse says, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other. Uh, y'all heard my, Brit- uh, the, my British accent? Woo, didn't know about all that. Shoot. But pity, everybody say pity. Anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So what do you mean, Pastor? Well, when you're in that crisis of belief, do you have a tribe of people that you can ask those questions with? And they're not even going to try to fix you. They, they may have the same questions, but at least they're going to help you get up and say, look, because this is what I know. In my crisis of beliefs, and I've had plenty, I just know i got to keep moving. Like, I'm not going to go backwards, and so I'm going to continue to move forward. And, but, but there have been times where I've wanted to quit, and that's when I call some of my best friends, my dearest friends, and they talk me off the ledge, and I'm like, you're right, come on, let's do it. We're going to continue to move our life forward. And guess what? Before I know it, that crisis of a belief has now become a strength in faith. See, I believe intimacy with God doesn't happen on the mountaintop of success, but in the valley of questions. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm intimate with God, but you ain't never went through anything. No, real connection with God is what have you gone through and still walking it out. You know, your marriage and your relationship, you're dating someone, all all the single people. It's great. You know, and you, you never have a fight, and it's awesome. But, you know, you ought to stir up a fight or two. Just intentionally. Come on, all my married people, you say, amen, pastor, just stir one up. See how they respond. (laughs) Just throw a little bit of, come on, a little bit of salt up in there. Why? Because it'll make it stronger. Well, they won't want to be around. Well, if that's the case, you don't want to marry them anyway. Because you're going to have a whole lot of saltiness. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching good. Ain't none of that even in my notes. Thank you, Jesus. Habakkuk's wrestling, look at uh, verse 5. This is what's interesting. Look at God's response. So he's been complaining, talking, and, and God says, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. So I just imagine, I love to see just the imagination of the Bible. I always play these little stories, and I just imagine Habakkuk hearing from God. Those words are, thank you, Jesus. Finally, I'm going to see you do what I can't even imagine that you would do. I wouldn't even believe it when I saw it. And so you can imagine us praying our prayers. It's like, finally, God, you're going to heal my body. Finally, God, you're going to fix my spouse. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Finally, you're going to change my child. I mean, you just imagine God saying, I'm going to do something you ain't never seen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Fix Phyllis. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I know. I love you. 
It's really fixed me. And God says, yes, absolutely. You're going to see something you have never seen. You're not even going to believe it when you see it. Look what he says in verse 6. I'm raising up the Babylonians. So the Babylonians are the, the bad guys. It would be like the ISIS to us. Terrible, brutal people. Murderers. They've ravaged lands. So he said, okay, God, whoa, 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 whoa. that's not what I thought you were going to do. You said something amazing. He says that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth seizing dwellings that are not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They all intend, they come intent on violence. So and basically, you know what God's saying? You think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. And I'm going to use the people you think I ought to use judgment or cast judgment on to bring judgment on your life. It's pretty devastating. Now, for them it was sin. And I'm not saying that God's going to do something bad to you because of sin. I'm not God. I don't have a clue. I'm just telling you what happened in Habakkuk's day. And Habakkuk's like, this is absolutely absurd. I mean, can you just imagine? It doesn't really make sense. It's not right. I don't understand. These are your people, God. These are your people. How many know we don't have to understand? And there are some things in your life you will never understand on this side of eternity. So I want you to understand this, 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 this statement and embrace it. That I can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God all at the same time. Like, look, I don't know if I understand it. I don't know why you've done what you've done, God. If I was you, I wouldn't do it that way. But, but you know what? I'm going to embrace you while I'm struggling. And we see Habakkuk do this in verse 12. Look at what he does. He embraces and he struggles and wrestles. He embraces and he wrestles. Look, Lord, are you not from everlasting? So he's embracing God. This is your character. You're, you're from everlasting. My God, my Holy One, you will never die. I'm embracing you. You're eternal. But look, he says, you, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. I'm wrestling. I don't understand that. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. I'm wrestling. That doesn't make sense to me. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. He's embracing God. I know that, so I don't understand, but I know that, God, you've, you can't look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. He's embracing why then, God, do you tolerate the treacherous? It's almost like this paradox. He's going from one side extreme to the other side extreme. But what is he doing? He's embracing the character of God while wrestling with what he's seeing in the natural. We can do both. He says, why are you silent when the wicked swallow up the more righteous? He's wrestling. So he's embracing and wrestling. And it's okay if you find yourself doing that this morning. You know, I, I got to tell you, it's okay. Maybe, maybe you can't conceive. You've wanted some child for a long time, and you've been coming to church. You're a Christian. And then someone else, they're not even trying to get pregnant. They get pregnant on their honeymoon. It's like, whoops. You're like, God, they don't even live for you. And we've been trying for years. We've been going to doctors. We're trying to figure it out. I, I don't understand. Yes, you're good, God, but I don't understand. Maybe you've kept yourself pure. Maybe you're a virgin. Maybe, maybe you messed up, but now as you become a Christian, you say, I'm not going to sleep around. I'm not going to have that kind of relationship. And you've been praying, God, send me a man. Oh, Jesus. Right? Come on. All my singles. <laughs> send me a woman. You're living for God. You're running the play. You're on the dream team. You're... And those that don't live for God seem to have found Prince Charming. 
God, I don't understand. I've given my life to you, and this is my desire. I don't understand. It's, it's the wrestle. Maybe you are faithful to God, praying, spending time with him. And again, you're diagnosed with the disease. Maybe you struggle with depression. Maybe, maybe you have migraines. Maybe you're struggling in areas of your life. And it's just like, God, I don't understand. But you're good. Don't understand it. You got to know that God feels your pain. He loves you. He's not afraid of your questions. And I would encourage you. Some of you have been silent. Almost a denial of what you're walking through. You don't have to be silent. God loves you. Just begin to wrestle. Just say, God, so, so I want to give you freedom to wrestle with him. Say, God, it's not fair. I don't, I don't understand. Like, like there is something freeing when you just articulate the things that are in your heart. Don't deny your doubts. Don't run from God. Continue to embrace him while wrestling with some of the questions. Now, I want to leave you with this last thought, and then I'm going to pray over you. The challenge that I have seen as a pastor is the weight that people walk through life under. And there's some misconceptions growing up. I grew up in church, ran from God, and God saved me radically about 15 years ago. And some of the phrases that you hear, they're really Christianese, like the safest place to be is in the, will of, in the center of God's will. It's just not true. The other one is, and, and, and I've said this in the past, but I just, I think we got to clarify the statement because it's kind of true, but it's kind of not. It's God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, it's kind of true, kind of not true. The truth is he will absolutely give you more than you can handle because he wants you to lean on him. See, if it's what you can handle... And I know the premise. The premise is like his grace is there. He's going to help you. But we got to be careful because you'll think, well, God, I can't handle that. And, and then you'll think, well, that's not fair because that's the path that thought process leads you towards. But the truth is you ought to say, God, I can't handle that. And that's why I need you. So not that it's not fair. Like you said you would never do it. He said that, yes. But look at what, what he says here. Hebrews 13, 5. And this is where you got to grab it. I will never leave you or forsake you. So that in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the problem, in the midst of the trial, where it feels unbearable, it's something you can't handle. The truth is you can't, but he hasn't left you. He's not going to forsake you, so you just got to continue to run to him. And then he gives you the grace to live through that struggle. And I have to tell you, I hate to even say it because I came to give you good news, and that's the good news but you may never have resolution on that struggle on this side of eternity. And you have to be okay with that. You just have to be. God, I don't understand, but I do know this, that eternity awaits for all of us that believe in heaven. And so that's, that's, the, that's the hope that Paul calls, calls us to look towards, that it's towards the future, it's towards eternity, so that no matter what momentary affliction happens, it's a light and momentary affliction. No matter how hard it is to the world around us, it's light and momentary. Why? Because I'm stepping into eternity with him. Even if down here it doesn't all work out. And if we can embrace that, we'll be able to live this life in a way that points people to Jesus. Let me just pray over us. 
God, you are the hope in the darkness. Lord, I thank you. In a power of God, I thank you that you're the hope in the darkness, that even in this series as you have really placed it on my heart, God, I sense your people are hurting. I say everybody, but God, there are some that just, they've been wrestling. Lord, create a place where it's safe. God, create a tribe where they could get involved with small groups and people and, and really have this place where we are not trying to fix them. We're just going to lift them back up and say, come on, we can keep walking. We can keep moving. I don't know if I got the answers, but I'm going to point you to the one that does. And Lord, there are things that we wouldn't do if we were you, but God, we're not you. And I do know this, that your word says you're a good father. Good father. And though I don't understand it now, God, I'm asking for grace, Lord, for those that are walking through the struggle. And Lord, those that are not, there will be a day when they do. Would you give them your grace to handle all that they walk through? And Father, we thank you that you are the hope in the darkness. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. There are some of you here today, you don't have a relationship with God. You know, I'm talking about God being the hope in your darkness. And you don't have hope because you don't have Him. And what you have to realize, Christianity did not come here to this earth. Jesus didn't come to this earth to start a, a movement of Christianity and a relationship with Him to make you better. That's what religion promises. Look, dead people cannot get better. And the Bible says we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. He didn't come to make you better. He came to make you alive. And some of you feel dead on the inside. You feel like, man, I just, I don't, I, I, I'm dying on the inside. I don't, I don't know any hope or I just, I'm dying. And that's the, the reality of, of a life without God. And so the amazing thing is in this moment, he is here. Right now, you can begin a relationship with him. In, in fact, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says we will be saved. So as Christians, we call that salvation. We're saved from the penalty of death and sin. We get to have a relationship with God. And, and so what I want to do right now, I believe there are some of you right now, you're ready to begin a relationship with God in this moment. I'm not going to have you stand up or come down, but I am going to ask you to raise your hand. Nobody's looking around, just, just me and you right now in this place. God, I'm ready to begin a relationship with you in this place right now. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to just sign of surrender right now. Jesus, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, church, tell them how proud you are of them. I just want to lead you in this prayer of surrender. Let's say this together. Say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Forgive me of all of my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. Right now, I give you everything. I give you all of my hopes. I give you all my dreams. I give you all of me. In Jesus' name. And everyone say, amen. Come on, worship God this morning.